Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Yeah, so this, uh, the series is on sexuality, and as a pastor, I realize that, you know, the world doesn't hesitate talking about sexuality, doesn't hesitate talking about money, stuff like that. And uh, just as a commitment, pretty much we're going to have a series on sexuality every year so that we can address this topic in a straightforward way. And, uh, and so get used to it. It's something that we need to talk about because there's a lot of opinions in uh, the world and we're bombarded with uh, opinions every day, constantly bombarded through media, billboards, talking with people, uh, news, every, every, ask, every way, every channel of communication is talking about sexuality in some way or another, and we need to give the biblical response. <clears throat> and today, still seems a little loud, I don't know, is that off in the monitors? Is that better? Uh, today I'm talking specifically about homosexuality and gender. Um, and so last year, if you didn't hear our series on why, God, why, why the devil hates sex and God loves it, Okay, that was the title of the series last year. You really should uh, listen to it because um, I, uh, I talk about homosexuality uh, at that point in that series, but I just I make the first step into it. And, and the summary of that message was really that uh, we, uh, the part of the homosexual when I, I talked about homosexuality, was we need to not be judgmental. You know, that's pretty much the main point of last year's whole message. This year, I'm going to take it the next step, and we're actually going to delve into some of the scriptures that talk about <clears throat> homosexuality in the Bible. Um, obviously, I'm not going to answer all of the questions. We're just going to start the discussion, uh, and the goal is to present some ideas, to look at some scriptures, and to address some of the common claims uh, that the LGBT lifestyle, which is, because it's hard to say, I'm just going to say the gay lifestyle. <laughs> Apparently they prefer the term queer, they being those who uh, embrace uh, the acceptance of all the different forms, and I did a bunch of research, and that's the, that's the okay uh, term, that, that, uh, because it covers everything. But we'll just say gay lifestyle. In uh, a biblical, a Bible-based response to it, uh, like I said earlier, the Bible has a lot to say about sexuality. Um, guess what? God is interested in, in what you do in your bedroom. Okay. Uh, in fact, He's very, very interested in your in your sex life. All right. Um, and anyone who tells you otherwise doesn't know God and doesn't know Scripture. Okay. It's a very, very powerful. A potent aspect of, of our lives, and 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 God loves us, and so He's very interested in that, and He gives us a lot of instruction. Okay, and so <clears throat> I was thinking about this, you know, in a raging debate, and that's what we're we're in the midst of in our culture is this raging debate about sexuality. Uh, wisdom is calm and settled. Okay, and I think that it's really important that unlike the Christians that showed up in front of a church just because we had on our sign we're going to talk about sexuality. You don't pull out the signs and start protesting. You know that's not wise because when people are shouting, 
Shouting louder doesn't help. Okay? Wisdom whispers when others shout. Right? Wisdom shouts when people are apathetic. <clears throat> but um, one huge uh, claim, one big issue is the claim that science has actually settled the question. And I, I've seen this over the last even five or ten years, certainly over the course of my lifetime, that will, in fact, when my wife went to nursing school, she, she, had, we, she probably threw them away, but uh, we had textbooks that homosexuality, the behavior, was evidence of mental disorder. Okay? It was just listed in the textbooks. Right? That, that was only 20-some years ago. That it was in the medical books as a symptom of a, of a psychological disorder. That's Freud believed it. And it's only been in the last few years that they've rewritten those books. And it's not because of any medical discovery or psychological discovery, but rather political and social agenda of people that have a lot of money. Now, I'm going to show a video that addresses the psychological aspects of it by two leading psychologists, uh, doctors. Uh, they are conservatives, but they are not Christian per se. And in fact, um, the, uh, the younger guy who talks about this, at, at one of his main parts of his job is defending being an expert witness in court cases defending the rights of, uh, uh, of people in the LGBT um, uh, lifestyle. So when they go to court, he often shows up. And so it's, it's not really a Christian video, but I wanted to show this because it really well addresses the issues. Um, we're going to have to turn up the volume on the TV. All right, so that was a presentation just concerning um, a, a psychological uh, uh, review or the psychological evidence of this organ again of the issue of homosexuality and really talk kind of addressing this idea of are people born with it? And some of those terms you may not uh, be familiar with, but identifying with a particular gender, that means a child who thinks, like a boy, thinks he's a girl. And so for a season, um, sometimes for a month or even a year, a boy might like to wear dresses, or a, girls go through the stage of being a tomboy. It's a little more accepted in our culture. Uh, but then they grow out of it. And, uh, and then people are overreacting and... Uh, in other words, often now that they think that people are born as uh, homosexual, uh, 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 boys born as uh, they should have been female, then they, they actually treat them and, and give them hormones and even surgery to change their biological uh, anatomy even as children, and the psychologist is saying, hey, that's not right. And so this uh, teaching, or these guys are saying, hey, we need more study, we need more data, and uh, uh, it wasn't addressing the biblical response, it was really just looking at the psychology of it. This question is not answered in a psychological or science. Anyone who says that or demands that just doesn't know the psychology or the science of it. Uh, but our question, that's not our question. I'm not a psychologist, okay? I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I'm a pastor. I teach the Bible. <laughs> and um, so what, the question is, what's right and what's wrong? Okay? And science does not give us a morality. Okay? Science does not give morality. You have to understand that. 
So whether or not, whatever end point that a scientist will say, well, this tells us this, it doesn't define morality. You can't make right or wrong judgments on, on scientific evidence. And neither can you do so on the law. Okay? Because the law isn't necessarily moral. There are many things that are legal that are not moral. Okay? Uh, so in our country now, it's legal to have a homosexual marriage. It's also legal to abort a child. A million are aborted, killed every year. Is that morally correct? I don't believe so. There's no law in most states. They've gotten rid of laws against adultery. And so there's no law against adultery. But it's certainly even, even non-Christians, even atheists, will still agree that that's generally immoral, huh? whether they practice it or not. <clears throat> and even in the Bible it says this. It says, all, Paul says, all things are lawful to me, but not all things, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And so whether Paul is talking here about that under Christ we're no longer bound by laws and therefore there are no laws, uh, uh, if he's talking about like the laws of God, um, because we're now in relationship with Christ, or possibly... <clears throat> I question that interpretation. It's possibly Paul is speaking to uh, the Corinthians where there was no law against all the forms of sexual immorality that he was writing about. And so uh, there was no laws preventing homosexuality in, in that day. He says whether it's lawful or not is not the point. Okay, uh, It's whether or not it's going to be helpful. And, and then bringing in the issue of God's judgment, that God's going to destroy both the food and the body, and he's using food and eating as an appetite, that, as a comparison to another appetite, which is called our sexual appetite, and that our bodies are not for sexual immorality. Listen, guess what? You get to choose your basis for morality. You do, whether you realize it or not, make that choice every day. I encourage you to choose well, okay? Um, and then can you even live with your own standard? When you make a, a standard of morality, how good, are you, how good are you at keeping that? How good are you at keeping your New Year's resolutions? Right? I'm never going to do that again. A few weeks, a few months later, oh, I did it again. So even when we make our own standards, we, we fall short of our own standard. I choose to set my standard on God's word because I realized I am not able even to keep my own standard. Oh, it fell apart here. How much less able am I to make the standard? Are you hearing me? All right. So I choose to have scripture as the standard. And baseline, there's some basic points. We're all broken. 50% of marriages suffer infidelity. Do you realize that? Most people don't understand that. Even within the church, approximately half of marriages end up one or the other or both commit adultery at some point in the time. Uh, and then we, we know that of new marriages, half of them end in divorce. Uh, how many, uh, if we're talking percentage, how many people 
are 100% pure in the area of sexuality. Can anyone lift their hand? No. We've, we're all broken in the area of sexuality. Jesus said, if you lust, you've committed adultery. And so uh, that just means we're all, we've all broken this law. And so whether a person has broken it by uh, engaging in a homosexual lifestyle, or they've broken that law by looking at pornography, or they've broken that law by having sex before marriage, we're <laughs> or broken that law because a beautiful person of the opposite or same gender walks by and your mind goes into a fantasy, you've broken the law. And so all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard, right? And that means we don't condemn anyone. We don't stand in condemnation against another person because of the sin that happens to be besetting them. Now, we don't stop calling it sin. All right? But we say, I'm just as guilty as you. We stand condemned but redeemed. I'm just as guilty, but I've found someone that washed me. And we offer that redemption to others. All right? So the real question is, can we uh, be made whole? And what does wholeness look like? And I'm going to take a pretty straightforward um, uh, attempt to address the the questions. So one of the big things that comes up uh, when you're talking to people who promote the gay lifestyle is that Jesus never mentioned homosexuality, so it must be okay. All right? So uh, just even before I get into that, Jesus didn't mention a lot of things. All right? Jesus didn't mention kidnapping. Is kidnapping okay? So it's just not a logical argument to say Jesus didn't mention it, therefore it's okay. But actually, he did mention it quite a bit. Uh, Because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, all right? Speaking to a Jewish nation who fully understood the moral laws of the Old Covenant. Do you realize that every male child in, in Israel memorized the first five books of the Bible? That includes Leviticus. <laughs> they memorized it. Every one of them. And so they knew the moral code. They were all in agreement to the moral code. He not Jesus not only affirmed it, but he expanded it. Remember in, in Matthew, and Matthew, it's the first major sermon presentation um, uh, of Jesus' ministry. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, which some people are doing in our day, and they always have, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be uh, called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, and so Jesus comes and affirms all of the moral teachings of the Old Testament and says the expectations. You know, he goes on and says, you know, it says, do not murder. I say, don't even hate. Right? Uh, and, he, and every one of the laws that he that he talks about, he uh, increases the level of expectation to yank Jesus out of the cultural, historical, 
and literary context in which he speaks violates all intellectual and doctrinal integrity. Okay? So if you just say, oh, Jesus, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality, it's misunderstanding Jesus completely. It's yanking him out of his cultural context. And that would be wrong to do with any historical figure. You know, it's wrong to do with Abraham Lincoln. If you quote Abraham Lincoln or you quote uh, uh, Shakespeare, if you quote anyone, you have to take understand what he said in the context. And so Jesus actually mentions, uh, uh, refers to homosexuality every time he refers to sexual sin. And the word fornication is just a general term that refers to all the sexual sins. And if you want the, the details, it's listed in the Bible. They're really specific. Okay. But every time you mention something, you don't have to list every specific thing, right? <clears throat> so when I mention the Bible, I don't mention each book of the Bible. It's like the Bibles. It's a list. And so every time you mention sexual sin, and in general, and then uh, it, it's defined, Jesus' definition of sexual sin is defined by the Old Testament uh, documents. And so every time he refers to it, he's referring to homosexuality. And then every time he refers to any sin, because sin in general includes all forms of violating God's law. And so every time he speaks of sin and every time he speaks of sexual sin, included in that would be the behaviors that are, are now people are saying that they're okay, but they're not. If, you're, if you choose, now, now if you choose to not live biblically, then you're making up your own uh, uh, morality. <clears throat> uh, and that's, that's uh, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll pay the price for that. All right. All right. The second thing is, so Jesus did mention uh, homosexuality. He mentions it every time he talks about sexual sin, every time he talks about sin. Well, they, people say, well, Leviticus, this Old Testament references, they don't apply anymore. Okay, well, uh, and, they, and the reason they say they don't apply anymore generally is because the cultural context, the cultural context of which they violate when they speak of Jesus' cultural context um, no longer uh, applies. I'm going to read particularly just a couple of verses. I, it, what you need to do is you need to read the whole of uh, Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 because those two chapters uh, discuss sexual uh, sin in, uh, in detail. Um, so 18.24 says, Don't defile yourself with any of... Oh, sorry, that's not it. 18.22 do, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. All right? um, now, the whole chapter, though, discusses all forms of sexual violations. For example, the next verse is, Nor shall you mate with an animal to defile yourself. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It's a perversion. Do not defile yourself with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. All right, and so uh, in this chapter, <clears throat> homosexual practice is listed quite clearly, and the word actually just means homosexual practices. All right, uh, if that is no longer applicable today, then none of the other things that are listed in that chapter are applicable. All right. So if that doesn't apply today for homosexuality, then incest, which actually about half the chapter goes into detail about every form of incest you can imagine. Why? Maybe because incest was a big problem back then. Incest is still a big problem. Okay. 
uh, um, adultery. So if homosexuality, according to that logic, if homosexuality is okay, then adultery is okay. If if, according to that logic, child sacrifice, because that was one of the things listed in this chapter. Bestiality, having sex with animals, is okay. Consulting mediums is okay. Cursing parents, <laughs> throw that in there. <laughs> you know, all of these other things are not okay. They're still morally acknowledged as being horrendous, destructive, even by non-Christians. And so it's just it's just a misuse and a misunderstanding of Scripture. And no matter how loud they say it, or how often they say it, you, you just you just realize they are just completely getting it out of wrong. Uh, <clears throat> the context uh, is not only uh, practices associated with paganism, but the practices themselves. In other words, this is the main thing. If people argue this, if, you, if you're talking to someone and they're saying those practices were only forbidden uh, because they were associated with pagan ritual, and I'm sorry, but they're not. And this chapter does mention the worship of Moloch, which was child sacrifice. But all of the other sins are mentioned just in the course of life. They are not associated with, uh, with paganism. The practices themselves. So yeah, if you went to a, a pagan temple and they were having orgies, that would be wrong. But if you just went over to the local uh, <laughs> house, the, the house down the street where the guys get stoned and have orgies, that's wrong too. Okay? <clears throat> So, am I being straightforward enough with you? <laughs> you guys are all quiet. <laughs> the reason this is in the Bible is because these practices were common and accepted. In those cultures, they were not taboo. Okay? The chapter starts out, Leviticus starts out with this statement. Don't act like the people in Egypt, where you used to live, or like the people of Canaan, where, you're, where I am taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. Okay, so in Egypt and in Canaan, all of these practices, what practices? Homosexuality, bestiality, uh, uh, child sacrifice, cursing of parents, all of those, adultery, normal, normal practices. Okay? We say, well, thankfully, child sacrifice doesn't happen anymore. A million children are sacrificed uh, a, a year in our country on the altar of convenience. Inconvenient to raise them, so we sacrifice them. All of these things are commonly practiced. Welcome to our world. All right, hasn't changed much. <clears throat> New Testament does not address the issue. People say, well, that was the Old Testament. That was under the law. We're now under grace. What, what we're called to now is to love. Well, what does the New Testament tell? There's a lot. The hardest part I had in preparing this message, and it's the hardest message I've had to write, was narrowing it down to just a few scriptures. Because the Bible talks so much about sexuality. But Timothy, I, I like this one, it says, The law, Paul says very clearly here, to a young pastor in a church in Ephesus on how to deal with the issue of the law, in other words, Leviticus, these biblical laws, and how to apply them in our church today in a culture that was um, very hedonistic, okay, uh, uh, sexually active and, and immoral. This is the law is for people who are sexually immoral. In other words, those laws are written to teach the people that are living incorrectly and abusing their bodies, that's why it's there. 
or who practice homosexuality, or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. Okay, just like in the other, in the chapter in Leviticus, if you want to remove one of those, you have to remove all of them. Okay, and so if it's okay now to be homosexual, then it's all sexual immorality is okay. And slave trading's okay. Huh. I bet uh, people who call themselves liberal <laughs> wouldn't agree to that, would they? But this is just basic logic. It's just reading. This is what it teaches. Now, if you choose not to live by this morality, then, then that's, again, your choice. Choose your own uh, uh, standard of morality. But this is the standard that the Bible presents. Just like in Egypt and Canaan, uh, the Greek culture and the Roman culture fully embraced these practices. It was normal and common. And because our country now is embracing this to a greater degree, we are living in a culture that's just like the early church. The gospel is presented as an alternative lifestyle. All right? And it's a good alternative lifestyle. And the reason that it had so much power that within 300 years it went from uh, you know a dozen guys in a, you know that, that were left on a mountaintop when Jesus ascended to become uh, the religion of the uh, an accepted religion in the Roman Empire was because they offered an alternative. Because when people's lives were broken and destroyed by a lifestyle of sin and indulgence, they heard a gospel. Right? It's the good news entrusted. The good news, the gospel, includes this freedom from sexual immorality. It doesn't say that we don't have to worry about uh, how we behave. It actually says there's freedom for it. Okay, another scripture that addresses this very, very clearly, very straightforwardly. What's difficult is that people oppose um, the biblical teaching on homosexuality with arguments that just are so insubstantial. They don't hold water. It's, it's almost it's it's hard to argue against because there's not an argument they just ignore it um, um, because the Bible is very very straightforward and clear about this issue it says that here in Romans it says this is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires everybody say desires okay. even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of the sin, they suffered with them, themselves the penalty they deserved. Not only does he use the word homosexual, actually, does he, he doesn't even actually use that word in this. He describes the act so that there's very clear understanding of what he's talking about. <clears throat> and listen, in this scripture... Both the desire and the act of homosexual behavior is depicted as contrary to God's nature and God's glory and what God's called us to. Okay? So the desire, oh, I was just, oh, I, I burn with, you know, I was, I've always, since I was 14, I've always been attracted to guys more than girls, you know, and so this is who I, like, that's desire. Right? And the Bible talks about that desire. And in fact, the whole message of the New Testament 
is that it's not the outward performance of the law, but the inward motivation of the heart. Right? And so the fact that you're struggling with a desire inside of you doesn't mean it's okay. It just means we're getting to the root of the problem. All right? And so you don't, I was just like, I'm, I, when, when, when people start discussing this with me, I just smile and say, this is exactly it, man. Yeah, you were born like that. I was born in sin too. I have, I have lots of sin, man. <laughs> I got lots of desires that don't align with God's will. Right? But I can't give in to them. Because if I did, it ends up in anarchy. I violate people's rights. I take things that don't belong to me. Right? Come on. <clears throat> and so we need to understand this as Christians. At least most of you here probably agree with me in theory, but this is more of a teaching uh, uh, to, to give you the, the understanding what Scripture actually says about this. It is very clear, it's very straightforward that both the desire and the acts of homosexual behavior are wrong and that there's freedom from them through the gospel. Another verse that deals with this specifically is uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, so, so Paul wrote this. Paul was a guy who wrote that we're saved by grace, right? And he's the message of grace. Uh, and so some people, you may not have heard or been influenced by it, but there's this whole hyper-grace movement that says because of Jesus' death on the cross, our behaviors no longer matter. So you, you can actually do whatever you want. As long as you believe in Jesus, you'll end up going to heaven. And, and, and that's a misunderstanding because the, the man who gave us the gospel of grace, Paul, God used to communicate this message of grace, says that uh, uh, those who do wrong, those are wrong acts, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And listen, so clear. Don't be fooled. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or pro practice homosexuality, or are thieves, greedy people, drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Again, here's a list of sample sins. If you get rid of one, you have to get rid of all. So is thievery okay? No. Homosexuality, in the same way, is not. And he lists two different words for male prostitutes and those who practice homosexuality. Because, again, they were, and we can go into the Greek, and maybe, maybe he just read a big whole book on it. He can go into the Greek with you. <laughs> and each one word refers to a different type of homosexual uh, inclination. But the reason he used both of them was to cover the whole spectrum. Okay? It's like all forms of this are contrary to God and contrary to the lifestyle that we're called to. And listen to this. Some of you were once like that. So the people he was writing to, some of them were homosexuals. Some of them were thieves. Some of them were prostitutes. Okay? All of that. Some of them had committed adultery. Uh -huh. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And that's the message of the gospel. That's the good news. Is that, yeah, we were like that. 
Well, we are like that. Listen, I still struggle with it. Temptation. Thankfully, temptation is not a sin. But yielding to that temptation is sin. Am I completely free from sexual sin? Not yet. <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm committing sexual sin, but I have, you know, there's temptation out there, and sometimes I linger a little too long. And my, my threshold, I have to keep dialing it back. Because it's so uh, available in our day. I mean, you can literally stumble upon pornography. I read a newspaper article, or a, a Christian article sometimes, and on the bottom, they'll have these things. To me, if I click on it, because the picture on it is a pretty girl, that's sin. I don't, it doesn't matter what that takes me to. If the image, they'll say, seven things you'll, you never knew about Hollywood actresses, you know, and they got some beautiful picture there, you know. Just the, the temptation is to click on it. If I, if I click on it, I've sinned. Even if it just takes me to another article. Because I've yielded to their, their click. It's a click economy. I talked about that last year. You can get on it. So, but the freedom of it is available uh, to anyone who calls, right? By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So the gospel message is all these things are wrong, all these things are prevalent, all these things have been practiced by us, or maybe you're still struggling with some of them. The gospel is that you can be free from them simply by calling on the name of the Lord and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Almost done here. Uh, final thing is, I can do what I want with my body. This is my body. I, you can't tell me what I can do with my body. And you know what? If someone says that, I agree with them. I'm like, you're absolutely right. <clears throat> but if you keep possession of your body, then you don't belong to God. And you have that right. In fact, that's, that's, the, whole God, that's the whole message of the Bible in a nutshell. You can keep your body, and you can be your own. That means you're not God's. It means you've become a god unto yourself. Sounds kind of like what the serpent told Eve, doesn't it? It's exactly what the serpent told Eve. Uh, <clears throat> Paul says in Corinthians 6, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality, and that term refers to every form of sexual immorality that's detailed at length in other places of the Bible, it includes everything from homosexuality to adultery to uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, uh, flee sexual immorality. It's a sin. Uh, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Listen to this. This is the big word. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And so Paul tells us that being a temple of the Holy Spirit that truth that Christians all agree to 
that makes us holy, he tells that in in the context of sexual immorality. All right? So what what the connection here is that our sexuality affects our ability to, 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 to be uh, bearers of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Right? And if we say, if my body is my own, I'll do with it what I want, then you're basically saying, God, you're not welcome here. All right? The issue is, who owns your body? And when you come to the Lord, it's recognizing God paid a high price for that. That price was Jesus' body on the cross when he bled out and died for you. He paid that price. And if you reject that price, if you say that transaction doesn't count in my life, you're rejecting the forgiveness that was earned through the body, the death of Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me? And how do you say that? By how you practice your sexuality. It's more than just your words, it's your behavior. And so if you violate sexual morality, then you're violating the presence of God. You're actually rejecting uh, Christ's payment. Um, uh, It is in the context of sexuality that our identity is revealed. I don't argue that when people talk about that. But the question is more, uh, uh, rather, the question of who are you or who am I? You know, that's what, what people are caught up in, in the homosexual gay lifestyle or gender issues. They're like, this is who I am. And maybe that question of who you are is better asked, whose are you? Whose are you? Because when you come to the place where you realize that your body no longer belongs to you, but belongs to God because the payment of Jesus Christ, that then has the power to change the desires as well as the behavior. Whether those desires are greed or uh, lust of people of the opposite gender or lust for people of the same gender or confusion of any of that, uh, that identity can be transformed when you give your body as a response to faith that Jesus Christ died for you. All right? And so you can get the notes. It's all there on that little bitly link if you want those scriptures and those bullet points. But I just want to close in prayer um, because, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the real truth is, is uh, you know, only a few percentage of people um, are actually uh, homosexual, uh, driven by homosexual desires, uh, a greater number of people, maybe at a time in their life, uh, experimented or thought about it, <clears throat> and uh, almost, and the percentage is so small that struggle with gender issues, like, well, I'm actually a, a woman in a man's body, is so small, uh, some people question whether it's even uh, 1% of the human population. <clears throat> but you know what's not small? is the percentage of people who struggle with sexuality, right? Because every one of us struggles with sexuality. And uh, so just let's just go to uh, the Lord in prayer. Just close your eyes. Father, I pray that we would find freedom in sexuality. 
Lord, not only during the next few weeks when we talk about some ideas on Sunday morning, but Lord, that your spirit would heal our bodies sexually, would heal our souls in the area of our sexuality, that your spirit would come in and heal our minds, help us think right about sex and and, and our physical body, our sexuality, Lord, uh, and Lord, heal our spirits. Father, I pray that uh, by the power of the name of Jesus and the power of your spirit dwelling within us, that when we call upon you, we also can be free from every form of sexual misconduct and rather be transformed into people that reflect your character consistently by living godly lives, thinking godly thoughts, saying godly words, and, and, and doing godly acts. Father, I pray freedom and grace. I also pray, oh Lord, that, um, that there's forgiveness. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all iniquity. Um, and so that promise is true to everyone here. And if you've gotten any sexual sin, whether it's pornography, adultery, lust, struggle with that, confess it. His mercies are new every morning. Jesus, thank you and help us as a church uh, stay, uh, be able to defend your word uh, in a culture that is increasingly hostile to it. In Jesus' name, amen.